so glad you're here with us on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our main website. ClarkDeals.com is where you go to save money each and every day. Coming up later, I want to talk to you about how websites manipulate you to get you to spend money you might not have spent otherwise. I want to teach you their tricks. And I want to talk about something now. You know, it's going to be a theme you're going to hear from me. And it's that Americans are under financial stress that is kind of surprising right now. The number of people falling behind on debts is rising. And the number of people going delinquent on various loans going up. Vehicle repossessions going up. And this is at a time of extremely low unemployment. Very unusual to have this pattern going on right now. So you will hear an underlying theme from me, and that's ways to think about how you're spending money, the decisions you make involving money. And one of them I want to address right now is the house you choose to live in. There's new data from the Census Bureau that finds that Americans are now buying homes with double the square footage per person living in that home than they were doing just two generations ago. So when we buy a dwelling now, the average home has, according to the Census Bureau, basically 1,000 square feet per person living in that house. Now, historically, it was half that, 500 square feet per person living in the house. And so we're building bigger and bigger houses. The average house in the United States now is about 2,500 square feet. The average home when um, a lot more people lived under the roof was 1,500 square feet, not that terribly long ago. So we're building houses that on average are much larger for a smaller number of bodies in those houses. And then we got to pay for those. We have to pay for the more square footage. We have to heat more square footage. We have to cool more square footage. We have to repair more square footage. All the expenses involved. And housing is the number one factor in what it ends up costing you to live overall. And there are some markets in the United States where housing costs are just beyond anybody's imagination. And you think about the San Francisco Bay Area, parts of Los Angeles, Washington, D.C., New York City. There are certain places where um, the idea I'm talking about, about living in a 1,000 square feet per person, it's like, I'm out of my mind, right? But in most of the country, what I'm saying is true and accurate, that we're buying larger and larger dwellings beyond the capacity of what we need. And here's one thing I'd like you to think about. How many rooms in your home do you never really even go in? Okay, think about it. When were you last in that room or this other room or this other one? And so if you think that way and you really process that and you realize that housing is the number one factor that affects whether you're going to have real financial security someday. When you look for a place to live, think about what you really need 
versus what would be exciting to have. And to me, ultimately, what would be exciting to have is to be able to easily live on less than what you make. Jeff joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Jeff, you or somebody trying to figure out an either or how to invest. Is that true? More or less. I'm thinking of buying a house, using it as a rental unit. However, I'll be using about one-third of my retirement nest egg. On the other hand, I should be able to use a small apartment on the property as my personal living space and figure I can have the rental house pay for property taxes, insurance, etc., and essentially live in the house for free. Wondering what your perspective is on this. Okay, so at first glance, I love this plan because usually the landlord lives in the big house and the tenants live in the little dwelling. You're turning that on its head to create financial security for yourself. You live in the little house, the cottage, and the tenants live in the big house, therefore paying you a lot more rent than you would get otherwise. Yeah. So you're creating an environment where you have free housing and you have over the years as inflation raises the cost of rents, you're building a solid financial future for yourself with money that will come in as you age. So at first glance, I really love that. Now, it is true, though, that if you take a lot of money you are going to have to live on in retirement, that uh, you don't have that money there for you, you don't have that money to grow, and you can't eat the house. So Um, tell me, um, how far are you, Jeff, from retirement age? Well, I'm in my late 60s, but I'm still working. And how much longer do you think you will work? That depends on how the body holds up, but a couple years anyway. Only a couple years. All right. I, I figure I can basically live on Social Security for food and, uh, you know, the little daily and weekly expenses. It's just the rent, I figured, is about one-third of my expenses. And you destroy that expense as long as you keep the house rented. Yeah. All right. I'm going to ask you to do one thing. I like the whole concept. I'm going to ask you to do one thing, and that is I'd like you to go sit down with a CPA who does tax just to make sure that this is all going to work for you well with you having this property that has basically the two dwellings on it. Mm-hmm. And I love the idea, and I think it because you live a frugal lifestyle, it is a very rare individual who can get by on just what they have from Social Security, but you've already set up your life where if you have free housing you'll be able to do that. Uh-huh. So I I really like it. I give it past a flashing yellow light. I give it a tentative green light just as long as you deal with the tax angle now. Good job. Scott is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Scott. Hey, Clark. How are you doing today? Great. Thank you, Scott. How can I be of service to you? I've also heard you comment that the best way to get a deal on exercise equipment is to buy used from a gym. And I would like to know where I should do that. I'm not a member of a gym. I've gone on to like eBay, but that's a little, you're not really sure what you're getting and, and the shipping cost is, is quite high. So I was looking for your advice there. So great question. And 
what I have recommended in the past is that you, are you a member of a gym right now? No, I'm not. Because the way I found the source originally was I asked the gym where I go, which is a YMCA, I said, what do you do with the equipment when you change it out? And so this is so low tech. Sounds like it would have worked in 1970. I just asked the question. And they said, well, we, we sell our equipment to this reconditioner. And they gave me the information. And I contacted them. And I bought a used pre-core elliptical that had been reconditioned. And then I bought a used Stairmaster. So the great thing when you get gym quality equipment, even if it's used, is it's such heavy-duty stuff that as long as it's been even marginally reconditioned, it should be able to work for you for years. I have the pre-core that I bought from the jobber that I had heard about at the Y it was one I bought, let me think, about 12, 14 years ago. I've never had a service visit on it. It still works perfectly. And I'm on it six days out of seven, if not seven out of seven every week. Wow, fantastic. Now, the other idea that I've heard in the past, and it depends where you live, this is going to work, and you have to have this specific brand of gym equipment you're interested in, is you go on Craigslist and see if somebody's selling the particular style or brand you're interested in. Okay. And, like, I'm looking right now, since I have this, this fixation on the pre-core elliptical, and there's one after another for sale that look like they're gym quality or if they call hotel quality, which is a, not quite as good. And here's one that's, um, oh, this is a gym machine, refurbished with warranty. And I'm seeing a bunch of them here on Craigslist. Ah, okay. I haven't checked Craigslist. Yeah, that way you could actually go see it before you buy it. That would be smart. Completely. And this is my bias. Stay away from gym equipment that's being sold at a sporting goods store or at one of the warehouse clubs or whatever, I just don't think the quality of that stuff is good enough because if you're somebody who's really into fitness, in order to stick to it and use it, you're going to want gym quality equipment. And the great thing about it is that before you know it, it becomes a laundry rack in your life. You know, you're not using it, so you're piling laundry on it. Yeah. Then, because you bought it used, you're not going to get hit with the massive depreciation turning around and selling it again if it doesn't work for you, if you're not using it. So it helps you at the front end, helps you working out, and helps you if you don't work out to get rid of the thing again. Yeah, exactly. All right, well, that helps. Clark, I'll try both of those. I'll try and uh, hit up the local gym and then try Craigslist. Perfect. And... uh, Hope you enjoy working out in the 24-7, 365 gym. It's a real problem. I have no excuse any day of the year to not work out. Chuck is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Chuck. Hey, Clark. How are you today? Great, thank you. So, Chuck, you want to see the seven Cs? <laughs> well, maybe. How are you thinking of doing that? If it's, if it's good. How are you going to make that happen? Well, a friend of mine, and this is if I understood him correctly, he sets a goal of trying to get something like four or 500,000 flight miles a year by applying for these 
offers from airline credit cards of you know, 30, 40, 50,000 miles, and then you spend 1,000 or 2,000 in the first three months and satisfy those requirements. He never carries a balance. He's very firm about that. I was just wondering, Clark, if that's a good idea. Is there any downside to opening up these credit lines and then he'll close them in due course or just cancel the card in due course? Um, Doesn't generally want to pay the annual fee. So um, your thoughts on that? If if you're a mileage junkie, which is what he's called, he's a mileage <laughs> junkie, and you stick to the plan and you're not planning on taking out a mortgage in a time period when you're doing your whole mileage junkie thing, it's great to do. Reason you don't do it when a mortgage may be in your future, you know, buying a home, refinancing one, is that you're going to have to deal with the fact that your credit score could hit a little bit of bumps along the way, not fall off a cliff, but could suffer some. So as long as there's nothing like that that you've got coming, then if you're disciplined about it when an offer comes along, like I get these all the time from airline after airline after airline and then the independents offering the huge mileage bonuses to moderate. I would say 50,000 is moderate, 100,000 points, huge. And when you can get 50,000 or above, think about what you're getting. I mean, you're getting the opportunity to great free travel. So yeah. I'm with yeah. your friend all the way. Wow. Well, that's, that's good to find. It sounded like maybe something to be careful about. And Oh, you do have to be imagine. careful. I mean, you said the rules up front. You got to make sure you pay every balance in full every month because running any balance, you negate the benefits of the points. And you also need to, does your friend have enough flexibility in his life that he can take a trip when the points are available at a good level instead of having to go very specific dates? I think so. Yes, he does. And you would have to have that too because frequent flyer points are useless if you can't be flexible about your go and return and even what your potential destination may be. Very good. No mortgage in my future right now, but if you were going to do this, what would be the time period to wait after that where a mortgage consideration would be safe? I would say minimum six months. Safer would be nine months to a year. Okay. That's very, very helpful, Clark. Thank you. Sure, and then just go see the world. You'll love it. Nate is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Nate, you have a question about credit reports. Yes, uh, my question is I was trying to do a check uh, for my son and and the purchase that he was going to do. But everywhere I go, you have to register. He wants your credit card number. And I guess you could cancel. I don't all that aggravation. I thought there might be a simple place, maybe a government uh, site that they allow you once a year free access to get a report and score. So, okay, let's talk about both the report and score. Discover Card has a thing where you can get a score for free without any effect on your credit, and there's no strings attached. You don't have to have a Discover Card or anything like that. Yeah, that was my next question. And so I think they do it as a way to get Discover Card in people's heads and hope that you will 
eventually apply for a Discover card. They have a special website mm-hmm. for it that's creditscorecard.com. Now, sure. you've probably heard me mention in the past Credit Karma yes. and Credit Sesame. So you can sign up for these and you'll be able to see not just your scores, but you'll also be able to see with Credit Karma your credit report whenever you want for free. Okay. Among other things that they offer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you don't have to give anybody your credit card number. You don't want to do that. Anybody who says, hey, trust us, we're going to give you a free report or score, but we need your credit card, you're one step away from them running up a bill on you, probably for some kind of ultra-high-priced monthly subscription service. Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you protecting every dollar you got. And we got to talk about that right now involving online shopping. You know, as I run around the internet looking at travel sites, shopping sites, and all the rest, I want you to think about what I'm seeing because it's probably there for you too. All the manipulation going on to try to get you to click to purchase now. One thing that's going on with a lot of clothing sellers is they're saying, Mary just bought this. You should buy it too or whatever. And it's all made up fake stuff there was no mary other than figment of somebody's imagination and so these sites are always popping up with messages when i'm on priceline looking at hotels they'll say hey you should click to buy now jim just got the so-and-so hotel and what's funny is there may have been a jim there is such a hotel called there but when you click to purchase on those hidden deals Over and over again, you don't get the hotel that they just said that Jim just got, but they're manipulating you to click. There's a car rental shopping site I go to that always seemed to say car rentals were in short supply for my dates in whatever city. So one day I was like, okay, I'm going to test this out. And I, I must have more time on my hands than I should have, but I tested 12 different cities. And all 12 gave the same urgent note that car rentals were vanishing. And if I didn't book right now, I wouldn't be able to get a car. And so I want you to know that these manipulations are because of a huge problem with online. And that is abandoned carts. You know, that's what they call it in online selling, where somebody will put something in their cart and then they click away from the site they don't buy. So the retailers online are using head games, mind games, to try to get us to click to purchase and create that sense of urgency or trying to get us to know, hey, all these other people think this is a great idea to buy this item. You should do it too. Don't let them fool you. There's a reason you abandoned that cart. You were like, well, I'm not sure I need it, or I'm not sure that's a good price, or maybe I shouldn't spend the money right now. Follow that gut instinct, and don't let them con you into spending money you don't need to spend. Cal is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Cal. Uh, hello, Clark. I'm really excited to talk to you. I've listened to you every day for podcasts, and uh, I'm really excited that uh, I can talk to you. Well, thank you. It's great to have you here. So I had an issue with uh, one of the peer lending websites that you talked about on your show. 
So I've talked about Prosper and Lending Club. Which one have you had a problem with? Uh, Prosper. What's going on? I put in a large portion of my savings in that, thinking that I could uh, earn a really good rate of interest. Pretty much I had the idea that I could just sell those notes back and uh, get out of it. But as I'm learning, it, it doesn't work that way. I have to pretty much wait till they're paid off to uh, take my money out. Yeah, so loans pay off all the time. If you tell them you want out, what they do is instead of continually reinvesting your money, you then have cash proceeds that are available to you, but you are the lender, and you're lending little bits of money to a zillion people. How many borrowers do you have right now on your Prosper dashboard? I think it's probably like hundreds of them. Yeah, it's hundreds, right. And so those loans come due and are paid in full, or they default on them, or they go delinquent or whatever, all the time. So what it takes a while to unwind the lending you've done, and you just have to wait for notes to pay out. So if you tell them you don't want to reinvest, then money just continually in dribs and drabs is available to you to pull out. But because you've made a loan, you can't call the loan and say to the borrower, you know, I've changed my mind. I don't want to lend this money to you, so I want you to pay me off right now. So what you've said to me, though, I should tell you, Cal, you're not the first person who's been confused by that part of being with Lending Club or Prosper. Yes, when I invested in it, I I thought I read somewhere that there was like a secondary market where I could sell it. But then when I did some more research, it looks like that's no longer an option. That wouldn't be a good option anyway, because somebody that would take over your notes, is they're going to burn you pretty bad with what they would pay you on those notes. How, okay. how has your return been? Like, you've got that thing where you can see what kind of return on your money you're getting? Yes, I'm getting uh, about 8 9%. 8 or 9%? What are you doing that I'm not doing? I'm actually putting it like all, in all of them. So I have uh, A, B, C, D. I have in all of them. All credit risks. Now, yeah, see, you risk. are a lot more brave than I am yeah. because in my lending club and Prosper, I have not been willing to take on the highest risk borrowers or higher risk borrowers. I've stuck to people who fit a um, either a moderately low risk or low risk borrowing profile. Yes, I actually was willing to take the risk to get the higher ret- return, and I'm getting the return. I'm happy with everything else. That's uh, that's fantastic that you're getting 8 to 9% on your money. And I'm really yes. sorry about the money you need not being available right now. Yes, that's the only... I mean, I don't really need it right now, but I thought I could just take it out. But then I, I think I have to wait, I think, maybe like a couple of years because I turned the auto-invest off, but it's, it's coming in very slowly. Yeah, but it's steady. The money, you know, the loans will come due with hundreds of loans. There will always be loans that people have either paid off early or loans that they paid off as agreed, and that money will be available to you. And and I'm glad you mentioned this to me because, again, as I said, you're not the first person, and I guess I don't say that clear enough that once you get in, you're in for a while before you can get all your money back out because you got to wait for the loans to mature. Yes. But if you did not need the money, if you didn't want the money right now, 
How do you feel about it as a way for you to earn money on your money? But right now, it is a very good option. Something I wanted to mention in connection with that, if you have money that's parked with any of the giant monster megabanks, you're still earning basically 0% on your money in them. Get your idle cash out of the giant monster megabanks and get it in to one of the online banks. Marlo is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Marlo. How you doing? I'm doing well. I have a question regarding how to invest my money. So I'll be graduating early from college in a couple of weeks, and I like to invest my money into a Roth account, I think. Um, I would like to take the payments I was making towards my school and just starting putting them to an account where I can pull money tax and or penalty free from both a house and education, depending on where I end up in the next couple of years. Marlo, my goodness. So you're graduating from college early. How long is it taking you? About three years. Three years you're getting a bachelor's in three years instead of four. Correct. And double majoring as well. Okay, so what are you? Are you superhuman or something? Yeah, I try my best. <laughs> and what did you double major in? Um, in business, uh, human resource management as well as management and leadership. And what do your job prospects look like at graduation? Well, I've currently been working for my company for the past four years in HR, so I'm pretty steady here, um, but I've also applied to law school, and that's also um, an option that's been uh, floating about for the next school year. Wait, 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 wait. So you've been working for four years. How many hours a week are you working? Um, currently, it's 40 um, hours a week, but it varies throughout the school year. It's eight hours, you know, winter breaks and summer breaks full-time, and just... I was very lucky to have probably the best boss um, in the world to uh, put me forward and make sure whatever worked for me, both school and work-wise. This is really incredible what you're saying. You're working a full-time job, and you made it through college in three years. Correct. (laughs) Well, I'm not worried about you at all in life. Someone who's that industrious, you're going to be in great shape. So where you're working in HR, do they offer a 401k plan? They do, and I'm already doing the uh, match program that they uh, offer here. And is it a Roth 401k and traditional, or they only offer traditional? Only traditional. All right, so that would mean you're doing the right thing if you're putting into that 401k up to the match, Mm -hmm. and then doing the Roth, uh, which you can do up to 5,500 a year into, that would be fantastic for you to do it does give you the additional flexibility of what you would do with the money that you're not going to have in the 401k with the Roth even though I don't want to encourage you to do this you can use the Roth as a place to park money hopefully have it grow and then when you do want to use it for any purpose it doesn't have to be a limited purpose you can pull your contributions out of a Roth at any time tax and penalty free the only thing you can't pull out are any earnings that your Roth money would have so it's a very flexible place for you to put additional money aside and the the great thing is if you don't need it for other purposes you just leave it in there and let it grow tax-free all through the years 
question on that. Should I continue using the 401k services my company provides or look at other um, 401k providers and separate from the company? Is there Well, I want you to be with a, I don't know who your company uses for a 401k. I want you to be with a low-cost provider. Mm-hmm. And if you look at my, I've got a very brief investment guide at Clark.com. I only list low-cost companies. If you look at that guide and your employer is using one of those, then fine. Use that same company for your Roth IRA. On the other hand, if your company is not using one of the low-cost companies, then you detach from who that is and set up your own Roth IRA with one of the cheapos. And I'll even talk you through what are my favorite investments for you to look at for a Roth IRA with those various companies and again congratulations on everything you've accomplished so quickly paul is with us on the clark howard show paul you had an experience recently that matches one that i have had on an airline flight what happened to you yes sir i was in a uh, main terminal going to a smaller venue it's a small plane five seats three on the left two on the right and i was in the middle seat on the left when an individual boarded the plane, and as they boarded the plane, they saw I had the armrest down, and they insisted that I rise it because they can't sit. I made a few, you know, into windows that oh, I need this for safety, I need this for security, or whatever. But I knew why the person wanted it raised. Well, I finally gave up and raised it. So this was somebody of size. Oh yes, and the person ended up, you know, sitting half on my leg the whole way, and. I started to raise a little pain about it, but the plane was full, and I didn't want to be bounced. And secondary, I did not want to embarrass the passenger. This is a a terrible, terrible problem for everybody involved because, you know, we as Americans have gotten larger, and there are a number of Americans that are in the obese category, and airlines at the same time have made their seats much narrower And on a number of planes, the seats are only 17 inches wide, which even if someone is only moderately overweight, means they're going to spill over that armrest in the next seat. And imagine being a gate agent, seeing someone who's bought a ticket and of size, do you want to be the gate agent who says, excuse me, you need to buy a second seat? This is a terrible, terrible problem. Well, I just look at it. Someone needs to make an adult decision about that. I mean, they measure my carry-on. You think you measure the, uh, measure the girth of the individual and go, hey, business or two seats? There's an airline in Asia that started weighing every passenger, and not on little planes. They did it on big planes to determine who was going to have to buy a second seat. And there was an uproar about it. I mean, an absolute uproar about the airline doing that so i welcome suggestions from people what we should do i was on a flight once with a gentleman who was significantly overweight and i got the it was the last seat on the plane that i had Mm -hmm. and i had to sit sideways into the aisle and he apologized to me and i felt so bad for him because he was embarrassed and i and i was uncomfortable it was a two and a half hour flight that I had to sit that way with my feet in the aisle, which I'm sure wasn't safe anyway. 
So mm-hmm. I do appreciate suggestions that people might post, Paul, because it is unfair to you or anybody who ends up in that situation. And at the same time, my heart goes out to someone who is obese like that and think how uncomfortable it is for them, too. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We have Sanjeev with us. Hi, Sanjeev. How are you? All right, sir. How are you doing, Clark? Great. Uh, thank uh, you. How I'm can I be confused. of service to you? I'm a little confused with all these experts shouting up and down, you know, correction is coming, correction has gone, and now market is up, market is down. And my thing is, if inflation is already high, wouldn't adding the, the interest rate getting higher, would not that add to the inflation and make it worse? Actually, what happens is when the Federal Reserve, oh my goodness, this is going to seem so pointy-headed and dull. When the Federal Reserve takes actions that effectively raise interest rates, and they do it typically in quarter-point increments, it essentially pulls money out of the economy and it slows things down. So if inflation is a problem and the Federal Reserve pushes up interest rates using the levers they can that controls the interest rates they can control, then let's take an example. So let's say they go up like a whole nother point in interest rates, you know, raise it four times by a quarter point. And you have uh, so many Americans that are running credit card balances. Credit card interest rates immediately reflect the changes in rates that the Federal Reserve engineers. So when interest rates go up on credit cards, people effectively, because they're having to serve higher interest payments, it takes money out of their wallets and they have less money to spend. Okay. When the cost of auto loans goes up, because they go up right in tandem with what the Federal Reserve does, somebody may say, you know what? I wanted that fancier stereo system in my car, but I'm not going to get that fancier audio option because I'm going to have to pay more per month because the interest rates are higher. And so it takes the pedal off the economy a little bit. Okay, makes sense. And as for the stock market, don't believe any supposed expert about which direction stocks are going to go, because they're making it up. They can sound really so wise, so well-trained, so intelligent, but it's just a guess. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. 
Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.